So now we're going to open up the Bible. Um, if you haven't got one with you, there's some in the back corner down there. And if you um, haven't got one at home, you can take that one home with you today. We're reading from the book of Luke. It's probably about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, maybe a bit more than that. Um, chapter 7. So Luke chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 36, which is a little bit on from where Clinton um, talked about last week. And it's another example of, um, of Jesus um, meeting members of the community. And here he's also meeting some of the religious leaders called Pharisees. One of them invites Jesus to his house and we'll see um, what happens when Jesus um, meets someone uh, who is probably seen as a bit of an outcast by the community. So starting at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, being Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the, mo from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thanks, Jude. Um, on your way in, you may have received a sermon outline uh, just covering the main points that we're going to go through today. Uh, there's also an activity sheet for kids that was on a, on a folder, a clipboard, and uh, you might use that to follow along if you're younger uh, as well. Uh, I don't know what you find, but there I find that there are some things uh, in life that are really polarizing. Uh, it's kind of like these things where it's hard to have uh, a middle ground. Uh, people seem to react either on one extreme or the other. Uh, really important things like polka music. Like, 
I haven't done any research on this, but I don't think there's anyone who's kind of neutral about polka music. It's kind of the thing that either you, you would love it or you would hate it, and I know which camp I sit on in that one. M- music can be like that all around, can't it? It can be very polarizing what we like or don't like. I got into the car yesterday with one of my kids, and uh, my music was on, and I got the phrase, what on earth are we listening to? Accompanied by a look that could curdle milk uh, as well. And it wasn't polka music. It was just, you know, the oldie-timey radio station that I listened to. Some foods are like that as well, aren't they? They're very polarizing. Uh, Think of coriander. (laughs) You know, there doesn't seem to be anybody neutral on coriander. You either love it or you hate it. Uh, Pineapple on pizzas or avocado or spicy food. They're polarizing, aren't they? People sit on one extreme or the other. Uh, Some people are very polarizing too, aren't they? There seem to be people that either uh, a crowd loves or a crowd really dislikes. Uh, Some politicians uh, can be really polarizing. Uh, Some comedians, uh, some actors, some musicians. People seem to either love them or hate them. And I think, I wonder, on a bit more of a serious note, if one of the greatest uh, polarizing people ever is actually Jesus Christ. He's certainly a a polarizing figure throughout history. Uh, People have either spoken fondly of him, uh, positively, or people have spoken very negatively about him. Think about the claims that he's made as to who he is. That he was was the son of God sent into this world to to save people. That's a polarizing statement. People have either accepted that one or rejected it. It still happens in the world today. Richard Dawkins said recently about Jesus, he said, Jesus was a good man and that a man of his time had to be religious because everyone was, but I suspect that if he had the knowledge we have today, he probably would have been an atheist, and he probably would have been a good man. That's that's one extreme, isn't it? Uh, Similarly, John Lennon was famous for saying, Christianity will go, it will vanish and shrink. I don't need to argue with that. I'm right, and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. That's kind of a... Extreme statement, isn't it? But yet at the same time, there have been people throughout history and in the world today, and maybe many of us here, who would say the very opposite. No, Jesus is is someone to take notice of. And as people who, who know Jesus, we think that this actually matters. It's actually important that Jesus is a polarizing figure. The claims that he makes doesn't allow for a a lukewarm, he's kind of okay response. These are not small matters and they're not matters of, of just personal preference. What we think of Jesus and how we respond to him actually matters. And today we want to think a little bit about why that is. And we're going to do that by looking at the story that Jude read for us. Uh, about Jesus from the book of Luke. Because it's a story that contains two very different responses to Jesus. 
There's, there's Simon on the one hand who, who doesn't think that Jesus is much chop at all. And there, and there is this woman who doesn't get a name in the story, but who acts in a way that she, is that she believes that Jesus is everything. And in a sense, these are kind of the two options that we have when it comes to Jesus. And we're going to dive in and have a look at why. Now, our story starts here, if you've got your Bible, verse 36. It starts here with Jesus getting an invite to the home of someone who was called a Pharisee. Uh, that means he is a very religious man of the day. Uh, he is very concerned about pleasing God by doing the right things. And he's very concerned that other people are doing the right things as well. A little later on, as the story goes, we learn that his name is Simon. Simon gives Jesus his invitation, come to my house for a meal. Jesus accepts, so far so good. But the meal that they are enjoying gets hijacked. Because into that meal then comes a woman, a very particular type of woman. Now we don't know her name. But there are two phrases that are used of her that give us a hint to what we're to understand. She's called a woman of the city, and she's called a sinner. And this is kind of pointing us to the reality that she's either a prostitute or she is very promiscuous. Now, there are lots of things in this story which are very different from our culture today. Uh, the fact that they are lying down um, to eat, that's... That's unusual for us, isn't it? Uh, we get told not to lie down while you eat. But that was the culture of the day. The fact that a stranger could actually just wander in to the meal and wander around, that's kind of unusual, but that wasn't unusual for the day and the time. But even in their culture, what she does next is very unusual. And it would have made everyone at the table quite uncomfortable. Have a look at what she does as she comes to Jesus. As he lies there eating, she comes to his feet. And she is weeping so much that her tears make them wet. And then she unfurls her hair and she uses that hair to dry those feet. And then she starts to kiss them over and over again and finally, she takes this, this jar of ointment and she pours them over his feet. How uncomfortable would that be at a meal table? Now, the significance of what she does and the reason why she does it actually is spelled out a little later on in our story. It's an expression of her love and her thankfulness to Jesus. She is saying in a very emotive, expressive way, not a romantic way, but in an emotive way, Jesus, I think the world of you. Jesus, I love you. And it's her love for Jesus that stands out in stark contrast to how Simon has treated him. You see, Simon has failed to display even the the, the barest minimum of courtesy to his visitor Jesus. 
and especially someone like a teacher like Jesus was. There's been no washing of his feet. There's been no uh, offer for ointment. There's been no kiss of welcome. Instead, Simon judges Jesus for allowing that kind of woman to do that kind of thing and to do it so publicly. And I want to suggest that in Simon and this woman, we have kind of the two basic responses that people have had to Jesus. In the 1970s, there was, there was a band called the Doobie Brothers. Uh, they, they had this song that went, uh, Jesus is just all right with me. But, but I wonder whether, whether Jesus actually allows us to just be all right with him. You see, the claims about who he is and what he came to do, they don't really allow for this, this lukewarm response, Jesus is just all right with me. Either he is what he says he is, or he's a nutcase. Either he is the Son of God sent into this world to save people, or he was deluded and he was deluding others. Either he is worthy of our love, our attention, our devotion, our lives, or we write him off as completely irrelevant. This woman thinks one thing, and Simon thinks another. And maybe today the question that is being asked of us is which side am I on? What do I think of him? Now, in a way, Jesus calls Simon out on his reaction. And in doing so, he's explaining what this woman is doing. He, he knows what Simon is thinking. <laughs> uh, he knows the kind of woman that she is and what she's done. But he calls Simon out by telling the story of two people, uh, both who owe a amount of money to a moneylender or maybe a bank today. And the bank incredibly cancels both those debts, one of about $10,000 and the other of about $100,000. Now, and then he asks the question of Simon, which one of these two would love the bank more? Now, I know it's pretty hard to think about anybody loving a bank, uh, particularly with today's interest rates. But imagine if your bank cancelled your loan. 10K, 100K. Well, if, if the bank cancelled $10,000 of my mortgage, I'd be pretty happy with that. <laughs> but if they cancelled $100,000 off my mortgage, I'm bringing them flowers. <laughs> I'm sending them a thank I'm kissing the bank manager on the cheek to say thank you. I, I don't care. And Simon gets it too. He, he knows the answer. He says the one who was cancelled, the bigger jet. Flowers, chocolates, a thank you note for them. But you see, Jesus is telling this story to explain why some people, this woman in particular, why some people love Jesus. Why some people sing to him, pray to him, thank him 
want to live their lives for Him. It's because they've experienced the cancelling of a great debt. But not a debt of money, as good as that would be. Something much better and much more important and much more significant. Jesus says her sin has been forgiven. She has been forgiven much. She had a debt to God that has been cancelled. You see, as much as we think in the story about two people owing money, the story is only possible because there's a bank manager or a lender who is willing to cancel debts. And in the story that Jesus tells, that's him. He's the one who is willing to cancel the debts of people to bring them forgiveness. That's why he came in order to cancel the debt that people owe to God. Not a debt of money, but a debt of our sin, our rebellion against him. And he does that by paying the debt himself. You see, what happens when, when, when a moneylender, when a bank would cancel a debt? I mean, I, I know they don't do this, but imagine that we had great banks uh, who were merciful and compassionate and would cancel debts. How, how, how do they do that? Well, in a sense, they, they take the debt on themselves, don't they? They, they, they pay what we owed in our place. That's how they wipe it clean. They take that debt on themselves. How does Jesus cancel the debt of sin? He cancels it by taking that debt on himself. By taking the guilt of the sin that created it and the punishment that it deserved and suffering and dying for it. That's what happens when Jesus dies on a cross. That's what happens when he suffers for sin. He is cancelling a debt by taking it on himself. You see, she recognises this woman, the great need she has for forgiveness. She recognises the size of her debt. She recognises that she stands before God as guilty, broken, unclean. She recognizes a need for her debt, her sin, to be cancelled. And she finds in Jesus a wonderful Savior. She has been forgiven much. And so she loves him much. Her love for Jesus, expressed in this extravagant way, is the result of her forgiveness not the cause of it. So why then do some people like Simon not accept Jesus, not love Jesus, not accept his claims? Why, why is he dismissed then by others? Well, it's basically because they don't think they need it or they think they can do it themselves. You see, Simon, in many ways, has graded himself by comparing himself to others. 
He's looked at people like this woman and he said, Whoa, how bad are you? Look at that debt to God you have racked up. That's incredible. My mistakes, my failings, yeah, they don't even compare to that. Why, why would Simon look to Jesus for forgiveness when he didn't think he had anything to be forgiven of? Maybe just a top up of goodness. Maybe just a kind of covering of those little mistakes. You see, why, why go looking for a savior when you don't actually believe that you need to be saved? But you see, the Bible's pretty clear that if we're to put ourselves in this story, uh, we are the woman and not Simon. We're not small debtors. We're not the 10K debtors. <laughs> we are the large debtors. We have racked up a debt to God, and it doesn't matter whether it's big or it's super big. It needs to be dealt with. It's a debt that needs forgiving. That's what Jesus has done for this woman. Look at what he says to her. He says to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. He assures her that it's been dealt with. It's gone. It, it's wiped clean. And it will never be coming back. But he says something else to her at the end. If you have a look at verse 50, it says, your faith has saved you. There's actually a little progression that's going on here in this story with this, this lady. She loves so much because she has been given, forgiven so much. She is forgiven because she's put her faith in Jesus. She's believed in him. She's trusted him. She's found in him a savior that loves her and she's committed her life to him. When we read through the Bible, we recognize that it's got some pretty bad news about people, about who we are and what we've done, that we're guilty before him, we're debtors, we actually deserve his punishment. But it says this in the context of the best news that there ever has been. That Jesus has come to pay that debt. And to suffer and die in our place. And restore us to God. And what he asks of us is our trust. Our faith in him. To do for us what we cannot do. Last week, uh, we watched the movie about the boys from the Thai soccer team. Uh, who got rescued out of that cave a, a few years ago. It's an incredible story of uh, determination on, on behalf of a whole lot of people. Uh, people who risked their lives, people who lost their lives, in order to bring these boys out. And it's incredible at the end to see the joy on, on the faces of all those who, who were part of it. The parents getting, getting their boys back after, after so many days. It's an incredible story of rescue, one 
one of the best that there is, isn't it? But in Jesus, we find an even greater rescue than that. A rescue that is filled with grace and mercy and love. A saviour who gave his life to return us to God so that we might be forgiven. We're going to pray to him now. Lord God, we thank you uh, that in you there is forgiveness. There is freedom from our sin, uh, our guilt, our shame, and our punishment. Thank you that you made this possible uh, by your own death. Thank you that you made it possible um, for us to be forgiven. Lord, we pray this morning, we ask that we would, each of us, um, love you more because of what you have done for us. That we might experience in you uh, grace and mercy and love. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.